This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. I'd be more real estate light where I'd be investing in REITs or you know big real estate index funds or maybe private real estate where you can invest $10, $100 a month. Be more real estate light because the timing right now to get into debt at this point is a mistake. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're going to do three things. First, we'll be answering a question from the Marriage, Kids, and Money community about investing in real estate in this competitive market. Second, we're back with our net worth win segment. This quarter, we'll be featuring Amy Green from New Jersey. She and her husband cracked the $1 million net worth mark before turning 45 years old, and she's going to share how she did it. And last but not least, my son Calvin will be joining me for another good word. With all the tough news out there lately, Calvin and I want to bring some bright sunshine in your world with some good news. All right, let's jump into today's show. I received a question from Jason on Instagram, and here it is. Hey, wife and I have about $150,000 in cash sitting in the bank. We want to jump into some real estate with rentals or Airbnbs, but the market right now makes that not ideal. We want to find something to do with that money with a time horizon of one to two years just to keep inflation from eating away at it. What do you recommend? Thanks, Jason. Jason, thank you for connecting on Instagram. If you guys want to connect with me on Instagram, I'm at Marriage Kids and Money. You can connect with me there. Jason, congratulations on accumulating such a gigantic chunk of change in your savings. That is very cool. Now, options abound, of course, but real estate has proven to be an excellent place to invest your money. But where should you start, right? You got rentals on your mind. You got Airbnbs on your mind. Well, I thought I'd answer this one with my friend Sam Dogan again. Sam, also known as the Financial Samurai, retired from his corporate career about 10 years ago. Real estate, among many other avenues, was a huge part of his financial independence success. Outside of achieving FI in his 30s, Sam is also the author of the new book, Buy This, Not That, How to Spend Your Way to Wealth and Freedom, which is out now. Welcome back to the show, Sam. Thanks for having me, Andy. Absolutely, man. Good to have you back. We've had you on for a few episodes and they've all been wildly successful. So I'm glad to have you back here to help out Jason. Let's answer his question. He's got $150,000 sitting around in a bank account right now. What options does Jason have to invest in real estate in this tough market? Well, so first of all, I think we need to put $150,000 in context. Is that all your net worth or is it 10%, 20%, 50%, 70%? So if we assume with $150,000 that it's less than 20% of one's net worth, we got to go from there, right? I think that's a good assumption. Yeah. I think that's a good assumption. So let's think about the real estate market now. Mortgage rates have come up. 
about a couple percent over the past six months since the beginning of the year. Corporate earnings are slowing. The Fed has signaled that they want to raise rates for another 12 months. Who knows whether they will or not, because the market has sold off and it's doing a lot of its slowing for the Fed. So if you think about real estate in previous cycles, we've had a great bull run since 2012. The real estate market really started taking off since 2012, and it's had a 10-year amazing run. And that run has accelerated since 2020 because the value of property has gone up because we're all, well, most of us are appreciating our homes more because we're staying at home more, right? So the angle of that curve upward has steepened. Now, given we're going into a rate hike cycle, and if you look at previous real estate cycles, you could easily see the real estate market go down 5, 10 plus percent over the next one to three years. So if you're thinking about mobilizing your cash because you're afraid of losing purchasing power to inflation, that's the wrong way to think about it. I would much rather lose my purchasing power to inflation than actually buy real estate and have it go down you know, 5, 10 plus percent. I mean, that's real losses. Whereas losing money to inflation, even though they talk about real inflation and all that, that I mean, that's not, that's not real. It's just purchasing power. So I would say... You should take your time over the next 12 to 24 months. There's no rush to jump into real estate right now because these real estate cycles really take a long time. Think about it as a super tanker that takes a while to turn versus a speedboat like stocks that go up and then they just crash the next day down 30 to 50%. So first of all, I would just take your time and not be in a rush and to think about the returns a little differently. There's nothing wrong with holding cash now, especially as rates are going up. In fact, the more cash you have, I think right now, the better you're going to feel and the more you're going to outperform the average person. Maybe if he asked his question a little differently, as opposed to, hey, for the next one to two years, I'm looking to throw in some money in real estate. If he said, hey, as a long-term investor, I'm considering getting into Airbnbs, rentals, whatever, you know, other real estate option, would your answer be different? Yeah, I mean, sure. It depends on your time horizon, right? If you're looking at it for income right now, I mean... Leveraging up to buy real estate now with rates higher and the market slowing, I think is a suboptimal decision. Instead, I would not be taking leverage. Again, it depends on his current existing net worth. Does he have a primary residence already? Does he already have multiple rental properties? Does he have debt? And if he's just, let's say he has his primary residence, I would be looking to be more real estate light. So instead of taking on leverage to buy physical property now, especially in cities such as maybe Austin, Phoenix, Memphis, where supply is increasing. And when before the pandemic, one of the big fears about Heartland real estate was endless supply because of endless land. I'd be more real estate light where I'd be investing in REITs or you know big real estate index funds or maybe private real estate where you can invest $10, $100 a month. Be more real estate light because the timing right now to get into debt at this point is a mistake. You want to be waiting with a lot of that cash, that $150,000 cash, $1,000 cash for value, for vulture opportunities, which will inevitably come. You just have to be patient. I like that. Yeah. So, I mean, thinking about this, maybe in the past where somebody would feel bad having that much in cash because they're not, you know, I guess taking advantage of the market, whether it's real estate or stocks, this is a time where having some money sitting in cash might not be a bad idea. And actually, you're seeing some companies talk about this as an opportunity for them to maybe take advantage of sales that might be coming down the road. Would you agree? I think the slowdown is here. 
And it's going to be more and more apparent when the data comes out. The data is lagging indicator, but it's really clear. If you see stocks down 20%, you see tech stocks down 30 to 80%, giving back two to five years worth of gains while still having the same headcount, inevitably, there's going to be a reduction in headcount. It's an inevitability, folks. So you really got to change your mindset from how do I make the most amount of money possible to how do I protect my capital gains. So if you have $150,000 in cash, I would hug that cash and really be patient for opportunity because they, they always come. Now, who knows how bad things will get? I mean, maybe we've already hit the bottom with the 20% down in the S&P 500 to 3,800. It's a reasonable valuation level. It kind of goes back to historical median valuations. But the last asset class standing is real estate. Think about it. Stocks are down, bonds down, crypto down, you know, art, real estate, Doing well, outperforming. It's not like it's going to, I don't think it's going to crash, but you could easily see 5%, 10% down and a lot more inventory coming up. So be patient. Well, if they have that patience and maybe a long-term outlook, you talked a little bit about real estate light. Talk to us about the difference of, you know, maybe going and getting a big bank loan to buy your own Airbnb or rental property versus something like REITs or these other online platforms. And I know you've dabbled in that quite a bit. So talk to us about those advantages. I mean, I just spent before this podcast about an hour painting a second coat on my rental property door. And then I put the curtains up and, I, you know, and I'm building a deck. I mean, it takes a lot of time. And so that's not light. That's heavy. That's not passive, 100%, 100% passive. That's semi-passive, right? And so as a father of two who's 45 years old, I don't want to spend all that time I want to spend more time with my children writing and doing what I want. So when I talk real estate light, I talk about public and private listed or unlisted real estate assets, right? So REITs, public REITs or private REITs, private funds. I have about 10% of my real estate investments in private real estate funds. And one of the reasons why I did that was because I wanted to take advantage of the heartland real estate because I have most of my real estate in San Francisco, Honolulu, and Lake Tahoe, which is much more expensive. So I want to diversify. But second, I also didn't want to see what the daily movement was of my real estate properties, right? It kind of stresses me out. It's not fun when you see your stocks go down 20%. So I want it to be an asset allocation play that's 100% passive, that's out of sight, out of mind, and to think about more like capital allocation for the long term. So that's what you have to do. You've got to look at your real estate portfolio and your time and your interest and decide what percentage of your real estate allocation wants to go to physical real estate and real estate light investments. I like that. Do you have any platforms that you enjoy more than others or ones that people should stay away from? I know you've investigated this a lot as part of your research on your blog. Yeah, I mean, I like Fundrise because it's they started in 2012 when the Jobs Act was passed. So it's one of the oldest real estate crowdfunding platforms. They're vertically integrated. So they decide to handle the sourcing of funds, the analysis of deals, and then the rehab rehabilitation of properties. And it's a fund where I don't have personally that much time to pick individual deals and then build my own select real estate portfolio. It's just kind of like picking stocks. Hopefully, you know, like other platforms, they do screen other sponsors and other deals. So they try to choose the best out of the best. And then it's up to you to choose the best out of the best that fits your criteria on their platform. However, I like Fundrise because of the asset allocation into single family homes and the Sunbelt. I think that is a long-term trend that is going to continue thanks to work from home and technology. And the cap rates are higher. So net rental yields are higher. Valuations are 
generally lower than coastal city. However, now you're seeing much more parity in terms of value, a little bit more parity in terms of valuations, right? Because places like Austin and I don't know, Miami or something, they've gone up 40, 50% Phoenix, right? Whereas San Francisco, Manhattan, maybe we're only up like 20%, right? So the other thing I, I think real estate investors should think about that I don't think anybody talks about is that the pandemic has throttled foreign investor demand of U.S. real estate for the past two and a quarter years. And before the pandemic, you saw over $100 billion of foreign real estate demand come into the United States. And the Asian money would come to the West Coast, European, Russian money would come to the East Coast. And a lot of that has been throttled. So I think when the pandemic finally ends or just, I mean, we're getting on with it right now. But when borders open up again, I mean, China's still going through lockdowns and everything. You know, if you're a wealthy person out there, you want to diversify out of China, because even if you're a billionaire in China and you're locked down, that sucks, right? And so I think within the next 12 months, you're going to see over $200 billion of pent up foreign real estate demand in U.S. assets that first attack the coasts and then slowly move inland. I guess that slowing has to do with a lot of our deteriorating relationships, U.S.-wise, from China, as well as what's going on in Russia as well. I think that's only a part of it, but you just have to put yourselves in the shoes of a upper middle class or wealthy Chinese or Russian individual. You look at what has happened in the world since March 2020, the vaccine rollouts, your liberties, the stock market performance around the world, global markets. And the United States is a top 10% performer, right? Our stock market has outperformed like 90% of the other world stock markets. We've got quicker vaccine rollouts, more freedoms. We have less corruption. Although inflation is above 8%, it's still lower than many other countries. So we've outperformed. So any intelligent person in a foreign country will be thinking, well, you know what? If they outperform during one of the worst times in history, I want to try to asset allocate some capital to America. And one of the easiest ways to do that is not, not only to get an education in America and work in America, but to buy real assets in America. And that's through real estate. Well, I love this conversation about real estate. I hope it's helped Jason out a lot. Sam, you've got a new book out there, Buy This, Not That. That's a very catchy headline, especially when we talk about personal finance with shopping habits. I know you've got a spin in there. Tell us what buy this, not that means. Well, every choice is uh, choice not to choose something else. And so the whole idea is that money is finite and time is finite. So my hope is through buy this, not that to help people make more optimal decisions through a lot of life's biggest dilemmas. And I really want to teach people to think in probabilities, not absolutes. So a lot of times people think in absolutes, which means hundred percent certainty that this is the right choice. And if you wait until there's 100% certainty, you're probably going to miss out on a lot of amazing opportunities. You know, I'm not going to ask this girl out or this boy out until I'm absolutely certain they like me back or else I'm going to feel like a fool, right? Then you never ask the person out. And then 10 years later, you run into them on the street and they say, hey, Jack, hey, Mary, how's it going? You know what? I got to say, I really had a crush on you back in the eighth grade, but I was just too afraid to say it. And then she would say, oh, I had a crush on you too. Why didn't you speak up? You know, and then that's like opportunity lost. And so if you think of probabilities, I think there's more opportunities. And I have a 70-30 decision-making framework where 
It basically states if you believe there's a 70% probability or higher that you're going to make the right decision through your analysis, through your experience and so forth, you go ahead and make it with the humility knowing that 30% of the time you're going to be wrong, but that's okay. And you're going to learn from your mistakes and make better decisions going forward. So the book, it's not only a book about achieving more wealth, more freedom sooner. It's also about using your money to tackle some of the big dilemmas. And some of the big dilemmas include, should I marry for money or should I marry for love? Should I send my kids to public school or private school? Should I help my adult children with a down payment on their house and car? Or should I just let them you know, fend for themselves? And so it's just a lot of these dilemmas that I think about that I've been through on my 45 years here. And I think a lot of other parents will go through it. Absolutely. We got a lot of parents looking to build wealth and happiness on this show. Sam, thank you so much for diving in to Jason's question today, telling us about your new book. If people are looking to connect with you outside of the book, where should they go? Oh, they should just go to financialsamurai.com. And if you go and check out the book, it's financialsamurai.com forward slash BTNT for buy this, not that. Excellent. Excellent. Sam, thank you so much for your time today. And I appreciate you connecting again. Thanks, man. All right. Thanks a lot, Andy. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> if you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello and use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello.
I love talking about increasing your net worth. This is our barometer for wealth building success. Today, we're going to speak with an investor who has grown her net worth to over $1 million by age 44. Amy Green is our guest today. Amy lives with her husband, Walter, and her two children in New Jersey. And when she's not building wealth for her family, she enjoys working out and taking a good nap. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thank you so much, Andy. It's great to be here. Great to see you as well. We met at a conference, I think, a year ago now. So it's nice to nice to see you again and have this fun conversation. So looking back, Amy, when did you start to really care about improving your financial situation? Right. So I actually have always cared about personal finance, but I didn't get serious with acting on it until about seven years ago. So 2015, I'm married with a baby and I get introduced to Dave Ramsey. And so that whole plan just lit me on fire. And so that's when we started to follow the baby steps and get out of debt and really, really make traction on our net worth. That's awesome. So what kind of debt did you guys have when you started off? So we had a lot. I owned a condo that I bought all wrong in 2008. And so we sold that. That was about $200,000 of debt. We cleaned up a bit more. So we had $245,000 that we cleaned up in two years. Oh, wow. Okay, excellent. You did quite a bit of work there. And then from the investing side of things, did you start investing right away? How did that go? So the good news is that both my husband and I had been contributing to our 401ks for many years, you know, so I started the minute I could with my very first job out of college. And so and my husband too, so we kind of came to the marriage with about equal 401k balances. And so, but we had debt. So the debt kind of it negated what we had. So I say we started with the, you know, when we started in 2015, our net worth was basically zero. And so, but yeah, it's just been something that we've grown since then. So yeah, just always investing. So in seven years, then you guys went from zero to over a million now. Yes. Wow. That is incredible. That's incredible growth. That's very cool. Well, let's talk about how you grew this. So what do you and your husband do for income? So I am a financial coach. And so I'll tell you that during our debt-free journey, I got let go from my job at the time. And so, you know, and it's only been a blessing in disguise. So now I get to help people with their money because we were on this plan. It was just a smooth transition to stay home with my my kid at the time. So I am a financial coach. So I work with families to help them create a plan for their money so they can break through their limitations and live and leave a legacy. And my husband works for an insurance provider here in New Jersey. That's awesome. Very cool. Okay. So now that we understand how the money comes in, can you talk to us how you guys break down your net worth? Because that can be different for other people. So tell us what that consists of so people understand. So about 61, 62% is in retirement. And so that's, it's actually, it's kind of sad because I looked at it the other day and it's, it's, it's down, but the market's down. We just ride the wave. So 62% is in retirement. About 29% is equity in our current home. And then about 9% left over is both in cash. I'm a big fan of sinking funds and emergency funds. And then also our children's 529s, which we sometimes don't count towards our, our net worth. But today I'm counting them. So. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I, it's a, depending on the day of the market. You might want to include them or not. I mean, it is it is in your name probably until until they use it. It, it, it is until they use it. So <laughs> that's, that's how right. I look at it. My husband's like, no, it's not our money. Yeah. I'm like it is. It is our money. So yeah. Funny enough, my wife just went back to school and we were looking at, hey, what's a smart way to pay for this? And we utilize Zoe's 529 because 
it's money that can be used for education. And she's like, all right, as soon as I get my new career going, I'll just put the money back in and replenish it. But it is in your name and it's your money. So (laughs) very cool. So talk to us about the investing side of things, because that is a large chunk of your net worth. So what is in that retirement bucket? And then how did you start investing to grow that so large? Right. So, you know, when I was younger, I didn't really have a plan for the for the retirement. I just I just picked funds and and worked on it that way. I think a lot of us get defaulted into those target date funds, which are there's nothing wrong with them. However, now knowing what I know now, I have worked with a financial advisor for quite some time. So before, even before we found Dave Ramsey and started the whole plan, I was working with a financial advisor who really helped to guide us and grow our money. And but I want to caution people because one of the mistakes we made was we trusted him with with everything. Oh, if you think it's a good idea, let's do it. And so I'll, there's a small investment we can't get out of right now and it's not performing well. So there's pieces that, you know, we have to pay attention to. A big part of it is finding a financial advisor that will work with you. And I am not afraid of risk. So we keep our, a lot of our investments in growth and growth and income, mutual funds, definitely more mutual funds than anything else. And they tend to do really well. I mean, it's, they might not reach super highs, highs, but I mean, we've had some pretty good, pretty good years over the past couple of years. And so, yeah, you just want to mitigate, you mitigate some losses too. So we've been doing really well with that. That's great. And you know, diversification is important as well. How do you guys diversify knowing, knowing that we're having kind of a downtime in the market right now? Talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah, so we really I follow exactly what Dave Ramsey teaches with the four mutual fund types. So growth, growth and income, aggressive growth, and international. And so that's where our money is played out. Those percentages have kind of shifted over time in my husband's 401k. And eventually I'll go back and kind of tweak them, but I look at like how are they performing? Is it time? Can I wait? International is the wild card. So we just kind of, you know, choose what to do there. But yeah, so we look at at all kind of aggressively growing mutual funds is where we want to put our our money for now. That's great. Yeah. And obviously it's working out well for you guys. Fantastic. Very cool. So how about the debt side of things? We talked about the assets. Do you guys have any other debts in your life right now? The only debt we have is on this mortgage. And that's not that's not included in this in this calculation. Like we just took the equity and to calculate our net worth. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Is paying off the mortgage something that you're interested in doing on later on? Or do you guys see it as a low interest debt and something you're just going to hold on to? No, I really want to pay it off. I, I used to have a goal of paying it off by the time I'm 50. However, we are looking to upgrade our home in the next year or two. So that will probably be pushed out because that mortgage will get bigger. But yeah, definitely something I want to pay off before, you know, within a reasonable amount of time, but something to pay off a little bit more aggressively. Yeah. You guys have a pretty low interest loan right now anyway? Yes. That's great. Yeah. What a great market to have a mortgage in at this point. So talk to us about, you know, during this process of seven years, going from zero to over a million million dollars in seven years, were there any windfalls or inheritances that contributed to this? Not at all. No, no inheritances, no windfalls. My husband does get a bonus, but that's part of his compensation package. So I don't look at it as a, as a windfall. Got it. Yeah, no, I hear you. In most cases, as you know, being a Ramsey person that, uh, you know, they did a lot of research and found that most people in this situation didn't have an inheritance or a big windfall that contributed to their situation. And if they did, it was something minor, $30,000, $10,000, things like that, that helped out. So I just wanted to wanted to help people out for that story. So talk to us about during this process, as you're going through, were there any 
I guess, tips or tricks that, that worked well for you that maybe you thought could help other people on their net worth building journey? Sure. I mean, for us, it was really, you know, it was getting on a budget. And I used to budget, but reactive budget and be like, oh, look how much I spent. And <laughs> now I know that we have to plan ahead and tell our money where to go. And I think that there's such beauty and simplicity in that and saying, what do we want most? And so those things of what's important to us gets put on the budget. And so for me, it's, it's family vacations. And because it's not something I got to do a lot when I was growing up, we just did not take family trips. So we're putting that as a priority, but we're willing to say, I don't need as many clothes or to get my nails done or whatever those other pieces are to it. And so it's just looking at what's important to you and making sure that those are, are on your budget. We value eating healthy and organic so that our grocery budget might be a little bit higher than someone who's not doing that. And that's okay. Like you just start to prioritize. And so I think that that's a huge piece to, to where we are today is just making sure we're intentional with where our money is going on a monthly basis. Oh, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. Having some intentionality. Now, knowing that you're in the Ramsey camp, do you guys use every dollar as your budgeting tool or? We do. Yes, we do. And it, it, I love the simplicity of it. It's just clean and simple. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great tool. Yeah, we've got... Uh, I'm a big Mint fan. I've been using that for a long time, but I just did a video about Mint versus every dollar, just kind of seeing the differences. One of my favorite differences with every dollar is the ability to share with your spouse more than Mint. Mint's more individual than it is couple or family focus. So I, I, that's, that's one thing that I really like about every dollar. Was there a book on your journey that was influential to you as you were building your financial acumen that helped you along this way? Yeah, it's gonna be no surprise. It was Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover. That's really what started it. You know, I, I checked the book out from the library, and then I got into the to the radio show, the podcasts, and that I just dove into the deep end with the podcast, and that that was it. I love it. Yeah, Dave was huge for me in the beginning of my journey too. Actually, I got Total Money Makeover right behind me right here. But yeah, simple, easy way to go. Just for people to understand generally, do you have an income range that you could share that, that could help to understand where you guys were in this journey? Just so people understand, because seven years, that's pretty quick. That's pretty quick. I mean, back when I, I mean, we could go all the way back to when I graduated high school, I made like $29,000 or not high school, college. But when we got, when we started our debt-free journey, we were making about 165,000. I lost my job. So we were down now to a hundred and, you know, and then slowly over time, like we're now over, over 200 or just right around the $200 mark. That's awesome. So, I mean, in order to do something like that, you're saving I don't know, half, 40%, half, something like that. A lot of your money in order to throw at your retirement accounts, things like that. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, we are currently doing 7%. So we're not quite at that 15 that Dave says, but you know, we live in New Jersey and it's a very high cost of living state. And so when it was time to turn on retirement, we just weren't able to add to, to that. And now that our focus is on, on the next house, we've been really saying, okay, let's just throw money into this mortgage and getting this house ready and, you know, planning for the next step. And then we'll turn on, you know, we'll increase retirement as, as we progress. So it's just, that's just been where we are with that. But yeah, we have, we have good savings on a monthly basis for sure. Very cool. Yeah. So make good money, live below your means, invest a good portion of it, and then this can happen too. So I, I love it, Amy. This is fantastic. Talk to us about where you guys are now. What excites you now that you, you're, you're in your early 40s? You guys have had a net worth of over a million dollars. You have no debt outside of your mortgage in your life. What are your financial dreams right now? 
Right. Well, like I said, the next dream is really moving towards a home upgrade. We are a little, little, little cozy in this house here in New Jersey, but I call it our million dollar house. And so we're going to camp here for a little bit longer, but you know, then I'm working on growing my coaching business as, as our little kids go to school. And as we start to just really, you know, continue to move on and grow, it's, it's expanding my coaching practice to increase our income and, and being able to, you know, do the things that we want to do in life. So more vacations, upgraded house, concentrate on growing your business that uh, gives you personal fulfillment and you can help people along the way, which is very cool. So let's talk to the person who's listening right now and they're saying, you know what? I don't make 160. I make probably just a little under 100 between me and my spouse. This millionaire thing or even just growing my net worth in general just seems very difficult for me at all. What would you say to that person? I would say that know that you're worth it. You're worth being wealthy. And if you look into some of the research on millionaires, most don't make over six figures in their entire lifetime. And I'm also coming from a state with a high cost of living. So we tend to have higher incomes. So there's, and just know that we spend a lot of money in property taxes and tolls and others. So it's, it's almost like we make half. So (laughs) we'll just throw that out there, but know that you're worth being wealthy and you're worth, worth the hard work it takes to get in control of your money and to, and to do the daily grind of slowly, steadily moving your finances in the right direction, because it's just this daily compounding of your daily habits that will lead to, and that's all we did. We just kind of focused on here's what we're doing today and this month and you know and then it slowly kind of went into a good direction and then we had a huge like covid was really good for the stock market so we that was really like we we, we that was like the jet stream that kind of pushed us over the edge second i want you to be clear on on your why as to why you want to build wealth um it's possible for everybody and anybody and so we there's stories of of janitors like leaving eight million dollars when they pass away and so there's a lot to it and it takes time Compound interest is a lover of time. And so the sooner you can start, the better. But, you know, is your goal to break generational patterns of poverty or financial struggle? Or is it, you know, like for me, it's like, I want to have summer vacations with my kids. Do you want to leave a legacy? You know, what is that why behind behind it? And that's going to fuel you to keep going and to keep working. And then just know it's possible. It is so possible. And that's kind of where I am like, that's where I'm just like, we all can be millionaires if we just choose to. And it doesn't take a lot of money per month. It's like a hundred bucks a month if you start at age 25 to 65. But if you're already older, it's just going to take like 250 bucks a month. You know, it's not going to take a ton of money. And that's a cable bill. You know, it's not something that's extravagant. It doesn't take, you know, windfalls and, you know, millions of dollars or winning the lottery. It's, it's possible to do a lot with what you currently have. I think that's a great message, Amy. Thank you so much for being here. Talk to us about where people can connect with you if they want to maybe get a financial coaching session with you or just learn more about what's going on with you. Absolutely. So I am on Facebook and Instagram at Amy Green with that extra E, F-C. So Amy Green, F-C. And you can find me at LinkedIn. I'm at A-E Green. Lots of E's in there. So make sure you get them all. Or you can email me at amygreenfc at gmail. I love it. We're going to capture all the ease. We're going to capture all the green and grow our net worth. Amy, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on, Andy. As a quick reminder, everybody, this show is for entertainment purposes only. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. Before we go for the day, I'd like to ask you to do a quick favor for me and my buddy Calvin. Please share your favorite Marriage, Kids, and Money episode on social media and tag your friend Andy 
at Marriage Kids and Money on Instagram or at Andy Hill MKM on Twitter and Facebook. To encourage you to share your favorite episode, which not only will make me smile, we're doing something fun. We're giving away free Marriage Kids and Money merch. That's right. Carpe DMT shirts, MKM mugs, and Be The Change hoodies. And speaking of promoting positive work and sharing good news, recently I found this news story and it's entitled Adult and Kid Fans Swap Baseballs in the Stands at Angels Royals Matchup. And to help me read the article and share the good word once again, I'm happy to be joined by my son, Calvin Hill. How's it going, buddy? Good. It's going good. I'm glad to have you here. Are you having a good summer so far? Yep. What's your favorite thing that's happened this summer? Uh, camp. Camp? You like camp. What's your favorite thing at camp? Dodgeball. Dodgeball. Okay, that's cool. Do you get a hit? Yep. It's no big deal. A bunch of times. A bunch of times. Hopefully it doesn't hurt. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's cool, man. Let's read this awesome story about adult and kid fans swapping baseballs. Ready? I thought you might like this one. Baseball can produce some very special moments for young fans, and one of them popped up during Tuesday's game between the Los Angeles Angels and Kansas City Royals. In the bottom of the second inning, Angels left fielder Brandon Marsh flied out to Royals right fielder MJ Melendez for the final out of the game. After Melendez made the catch, he decided to toss the ball into the stands, as many players often do. Upon Melendez throwing the ball into the stands, it was caught by an adult fan. After celebrating the catch, he tossed the ball down to a much younger fan that was sitting a few rows in front of him. The fan's gesture of kindness was a special moment, but it wasn't where the story ended. The older fan probably thought that he was leaving the game empty-handed, but he would have been wrong. In the bottom of the fourth inning, Angels first baseman Jared Walsh hit a solo home run to right field. In an ironic turn of events, the young fan's father caught the home run ball. Following the young fan celebrating the catch with his father, he decided to return the favor to the older fan from earlier. The young fan tossed the second ball up to the older fan, returning the gesture from earlier in the game. It was a truly special moment on both ends. Okay, that's a cool story. It probably helps to see it, everybody. So I'm going to put the link in the show notes because the visuals make a big deal. I like that story of kindness at a baseball game. So what do you think of this man who gave the baseball to the little boy? That was pretty nice. Yeah, it's a nice thing to do, right? And it's just so you know, I know we don't go to baseball games a lot. We probably should because it could be fun. But it's pretty rare for somebody to catch a home run ball like that. So for that to happen twice in a game is a big deal. Do you think he would give away the ball if it came to you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Well, is there something that you've liked that you've had in your life that you've given away to somebody else? Do you remember all your whole Beyblade collection that you had? Oh, yeah. Who did you give that to? Cousins. Your cousins. For free. For free. 
That was very nice of you to do. How come you didn't ask for any money for it? Because I didn't like them anymore. You didn't like the Beyblades anymore and you thought that they would enjoy them? Yeah. Well, that's very nice of you to give something away that you've enjoyed. And now, what is your favorite toy once again now that you gave them all away? Beyblades. Beyblades. Isn't that funny? (laughs) As soon as you give them all away. (laughs) Well, I thought that would be a fun story to share with everybody. And Calvin, thank you very much for reading it. Again, everybody, I think the visual will help you if you watch the video. Calvin, I'm going to give you three bucks. So I like three bucks, but I'm going to give it to you because I love you. No fair. For for participating (laughs) in the good word. So Calvin, let's do some fun things. I want to, I want you to help me read the shout out of the month. Okay. We're going to give away some of that merchandise we talked about to someone who supported our family show. So since the last good word, we received actually five social shout outs. So if you can ask Alexa to pick a number between one and five. That'd be great. Alexa, pick a number between one and five. Here's a number between one and five. It's two. Two. Okay. Well, our second social shout out came from Allie Swart, who shared an episode about how female breadwinners can earn more and worry less. I really liked that episode. That was a lot of fun. So Calvin, can you read Allie's uh, note to us here? I really loved a segment on here where she talks about using your paycheck to buy assets to lead the independence from that very paycheck. Savings and investments give you options and eventually prevent you from being reliant on a job or paycheck. I love that, man. You got some big words in there. Independence and eventually. Wow, man, that's some good reading, Calvin. Way to go. Allie, thank you so much for that shout out and supporting our family show. I'm going to be DMing you with my thanks. And I'd like to offer you one piece of merch from the Marriage Kids and Money store. Mr. Beast merch. <laughs> Calvin wants me to sell Mr. Beach merch again on the show. Maybe I need to contact Mr. Beach and see if he'll hook us up. What do you think? We need some more Mr. Beach. I know. I tried to contact him on Instagram. He's a very busy guy. (laughs) But anyway, yeah, anything you want on there, t-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, whatever. And you name it, it's yours, Allie. Thank you. Calvin and I, we've got some shirts we like to wear. We've got some fun things that we've been giving away. So... If you are interested in having an opportunity to get some merch and share your favorite Marriage, Kids, and Money episode, please do so, everybody, by tagging me at Marriage, Kids, and Money on Instagram or at Andy Hill MKM on Twitter or Facebook, and you'll have a chance for Calvin and I to read your social shout-out. And if you want to check out our store, you can go to MarriageKidsAndMoney.com slash... Shout out. Yeah, he shouted out. MarriageKidsAndMoney.com slash store. Calvin and I will be here next month. Everybody sharing the good word. Calvin, thank you very much for hanging out with me and talking baseball and, uh, you know, being kind. You're welcome. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, my son Calvin is going to end the show with a quote today from Confucius. Life is really simple, but we insist on making it complicated. Awesome, buddy. Thank you for reading that. Everybody follow the simple path to wealth and happiness and shout out, everybody. Carpe diem!